0: Kyle and I talk about at what point it's okay to take someone's labor from them. We talk about masks and are they helpful, aren't they? If you're interested in a full transcript of the episode and how to connect with us, you can go on to SocraticHobbits.com. Thanks for listening. We are Socratic Hobbits. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Another beautiful day. We've had we've had a hot week here, man. I don't remember it being quite this hot.
1: Uh, it it hits 100 every year.
0: Does it hit 100 like 3 days in a row? And then it's mm. on the it's on the forecast again? Some years. <laughs> yeah. I
1: did see that they are giving it a 50 50 chance for La Niña, which is really good for skiing. So we'll see if that comes to fruition.
0: You don't live near any of these mountains anymore. You still gonna drive over?
1: Right. I live near mountains with good snow.
0: You have better snow over there. Definitely. Oh.
1: Not to be a snob, but yes.
0: <laughs> not. Uh, not to be a snob, but I am being a snob. Is it? Uh. I want to say Rainier. Rainier?
1: No, Rainier's up by Seattle. Um oh, that's So right. Crystal Mountains right across from Rainier. If you come over and ski the more of the Bitterroots and Selkirks. That's that's where Schweitzer and Lookout Pass and Silver Mountain are. Um, gotcha. And then if you go south about four hours, three and a half, four hours, you get to McCall. And you got Brundage and Tamarack.
0: Are those all? Um, what are the what most, are those heights? Most
1: of them are just ski areas. They aren't. Um, oh, so I resorts. wouldn't be able to come. Schweitzer is the one that is a resort.
0: Like, would I be welcome as a snowboarder? Or no, not really.
1: Oh, oh, by ski area, I just mean it doesn't have. A full-scale lodge and stuff. Oh, I see. No, I think the only places that don't allow snowboarders, last I heard, were Alta and and Douse. and both of them were getting pressure to allow snowboarders. But Alta's in near Salt Lake, and then Taos is in New Mexico.
0: Hmm. Okay, I'm just looking at these notes. You changed some of them.
1: I did. I this is, added this is
0: acceptable. Yeah. So your week? Uh, are you week four? At your new job?
1: Yeah, I believe that's right. I haven't really been counting. I've been more just trying to absorb everything. Today we had a meeting where I finally realized that I'm not the only one who doesn't know everything that's going on. Yeah. Because we had a conversation about how there's there have been discussions about how to organize work on this team for the last couple of years. Oh. And it's just been a lot of experimentation. Which actually fits in pretty well with the thing I wanted to talk about with in book club from the book i've been reading but we can go over what you've been reading the two towers first or um i don't know if there are any other things
0: two towers it's now re- essentially retelling the story from uh frodo's point of view got through the end of gosh it's been now it's been a week or so, or two since i was looking at the um with saruman and uh uh uh-huh. everything but they're Orthanc and Helms Deep. There we go. That was what I was having a hard time remembering. But yeah, yeah. So it's. Uh, I was. I was pretty struck by how quickly Gollum changed in going from hating uh, Frodo and Sam, Gamgee, and it seems like they were just arguing about whether they should kill him or not. And then Frodo right. insisted, based on his conversation with with Gandalf. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. In Moria.
0: That he should spare him. Yeah, so that was... Um, I just imagined it being a little bit longer of a process, but it, it wasn't. It was uh, in mean, a page.
1: Now, where are Frodo and Sam at right now? So you're with Frodo and Sam.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they haven't gotten anywhere very interesting yet. I mean, if you... I guess if I was looking at a, a map, I might be able to... Like, they're not into... Have they made it
1: to the Dead Marshes yet?
0: I think they're, they're either past that or just near the end of that, I think. I get that impression.
2: Okay, okay.
0: You can spoil it for me. What's after the what's after that?
2: Uh,
1: the Black Gate.
0: No, they're not there yet.
1: Okay. Yeah. I don't think that really spoils anything, but that's in the movie. Yeah, that's always been a slow part of the book mm-hmm. for me, although I shouldn't say always because the most recent time I, I went through it, I think I started to see more of the character develop or appreciate more of the character development aspects in mm-hmm. there and focus on that rather than Getting bogged down in the slow movement of time, which mm. when I was younger, that definitely um,
0: Boring.
1: Yes. <laughs> Get me to the battles.
0: Yeah. Well, and then now we've talked about how uh, Tolkien doesn't even really like writing about battles. Right. There are still there are still some in there, but...
1: Well, thanks for the update.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. That's where we're at. We'll, uh, at the very least, we'll run this podcast through the end of The Lord of the Rings.
1: Sounds good. Yeah. So have you been pretty full up the last couple of weeks? Full? Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's been, I've been, been working um, just kind of the typical, um, we're starting to close out. You and I had talked about that a little bit. So uh, for project management with a with with any project, you kind of have mm, at least three phases, maybe more. You have startup where you're getting submittals in uh, throughout the whole project and even before the project, you'll have... Uh, requests for information where you ask the owners and architects different as as problems come up Um, and then um, most of the middle like you're you're still getting you're basically still getting submittals you know you'll have new products you'll have uh, substitutions and different things but one of the important pieces at the end is um, like owner manuals and uh, an owner's manual for everything that you installed right yeah it ends up being a several thousand page document. Who writes that? So um, every subcontractor, every every manufacturer will have an O&M manual for their specific product, but it's the project engineer who puts all those together.
2: Okay,
1: so it's your job to compile everything and...
0: Yeah, and create a table of contents and distribute it and make sure it kind of makes sense. Okay. I mean, it's not like I'm Writing a narrative, so I'll I'll have created a two or three thousand page. I mean, I don't know. It might not be that much, but uh, a significant document without have reading without having read most of it. Right, right. Because I just that would just be a lot.
1: Sounds like sounds like us in our transcripts.
0: Yeah, since we don't uh, read all of those completely. Right. We'll see if we get.
1: um, Well, well, since I I kind of like throw stuff together and then then I edit it. You give it a once over with a. Docs, edit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Grammar check. Well, I don't know that. uh, I mean, you can't even really get to it from our website very easily. I mean, if you look for it, you can. There's not that many pages, but so you're we there's a few things on feedback. One, you hate hello, Internet, so I'll never bring them up again. Yes. Uh, And then two, you're tired of chit chatting with me. Is that is that a hate
1: is the right word. I hate hate (laughs) hello, Internet, and I hate chit chat. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh sorry sorry loathe is that better we can go to de- with despise despise disdain okay so uh you you yeah okay so a little more realistically this you.
1: isn't fair because the people can't see me it's so like smiling yeah you're
0: smirking it's for everybody that's all right they can they can tell so you you listen to an episode of
1: i listen to a couple
0: my fa- one of my favorite well you listen to a couple okay yeah and you, you were not, it wasn't a big deal to you. You were like, this is almost a waste of my time.
1: Yeah. And then, I, but then I listened to another podcast, which you recommended, The Knowledge Project. And I have been eating that up.
0: No, 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 no. I want to talk about Hello Internet. This is what got me interested in podcasting at all. They, their episode 10 is called Two Dudes Talking. And, um. Uh-huh. It's basically what we're doing, although we, I think, have a slightly more focus than them because they literally will just talk about whatever. And right. because they're enjoyable to listen to for me, there is actual like uh, helpful. It, it, it's much more like sitting and having a, having a coffee with someone and learning how they approach problems and learning... I don't know that you could, after listening to an episode or two, gain a lot of value, but by listening to 20 episodes, you know, you might, you get a different kind of outlook and they're just, they are just entertaining and they do that. You know, they're, they're both YouTube, uh, they both earn their living that way. So they're used to that. But I guess maybe the reason that you wanted to switch to the knowledge product so quickly is because you don't have much to talk about the Hello Internet podcast because it was just not very interesting to you. Is that...
1: I think it was more as as you're describing how you approach um, Hello Internet. I was thinking of the the Knowledge Project episodes I've listened to, and it's funny I can't remember the Farnham Street blog writer's name, but he Shane was Parrish. Intervie- Shane Parrish. So Shane Shane was interviewing, um, for example, Jason Calicanas who was discussing how he approaches life having spent time learning to play poker and learning to invest in startups and the way he approaches, the way he sees um, similar models in how to interact or engage with the world in hmm. making decisions based off of um, statistics and reading people in both poker and in investing in early, early stage startups. And, and that sort of learning about how someone understands the world is, is, is what's really fascinating to me. Why is that? I guess I'd have to say, I find it to be, and this is going to be really funny considering we're two dudes talking, mm-hmm. I, I find it more interesting personally, and hopefully this doesn't scare off all the listeners, all the many listeners to our podcast but i find it more interesting to hear the story of someone who's who either has been or is at the top of their field as opposed to hearing the back and forth between friends people who are who are who are friends yeah and and then the the other thing that's that i enjoy is the add bit of Getting to hear a new person's perspective each episode. So as opposed to getting the same perspective each episode, if I listen to, if I listen to an episode that interviews people, I feel like I get exposed to more um, models of thought, which is at at some level just entertaining for me.
0: Mm -hmm. And then infotainment.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And, but at, at another level, I I enjoy systematic thinking and, or I like to think I enjoy systematic thinking.
0: That's a nice thought.
1: And so I enjoy taking, okay, I just listened to Tim Ferriss interview Howard Marks, and now I'm going to listen to Shane Parrish interview Jason Calacanis, and then maybe listen to... Pat Flynn interview um, Michael Hyatt and, and look at the different um, commonalities or common threads that can be woven together from the, how those three different people being interviewed look at the world and then also looking at the common threads in how the interviewers ask questions and how that works with the um, people they're interviewing.
0: Yeah, so I can see that as being entertaining, um, but I don't know that it's particularly helpful. Okay. And here's here's why. You don't see... So there's there's two podcasts that I listen to. The one, uh, Hello Internet, we've already mentioned, and then also um, Cortex, which also has uh, CGP grays in both of these. But when you don't have recurring uh, guests or you, you constantly have new guests... I actually don't know that Tim Ferriss... Uh, doesn't have recurring guests. See very well may, um. But you don't really see the follow through. You kind of you kind of see this. You know. You said you like to see people who are at the top of their game. Well, that changes all of the time, and you Mm -hmm. don't. You know. So we we read Atomic Habits, and you don't like you don't see the the result of that effective thinking. It's almost like, well, you're just looking for roads that are above a certain elevation. And not what the road before or after looks like. Whereas, not that I know Brady Heron very well. But I would say Mm -hmm. I know him better than any of the other people who I see on these other podcasts too. It's like, it's just like a highlight. It's almost like Facebook or social media where you see, you see just the highlights. And it looks like they have a wonderful life. But you don't know. That's really, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go.
1: That's really interesting that that you mentioned that because um, Jim Collins, when Shane Parrish interviewed him, asked Shane, okay, what are the questions that you never get really good answers to or that people seem to dodge? And Shane's response to that was people dodge or don't really get, aren't very honest about what difficulties they've had in life Hmm. or what, what challenges they've met that they haven't dealt with effectively and that actually led to a conversation between Shane and Jim um, talking about close relationships in their lives that had gone south Mm -hmm. and it it opened up kind of a door into what you're describing there of how did these people process or how are they still processing really low points in their lives these people that we view as high-functioning, hyper-successful people, they still have tremendous difficulties. They're, they're still impacted by living in a world broken by the fall. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, that, that just came to my mind when when you were talking about how you don't always get to see the road there. And, and that was something that Shane actually acknowledged in um, one of his episodes when he was interviewing Jim Collins.
0: Yeah, well, and and it's definitely possible that you know I don't I I guess what I've described I don't think of I don't think is a and true in all cases. I think that um, there are sometimes when you know if you have a particularly honest someone basically who isn't posturing if you have a particularly honest uh, interviewer and interviewee because it's really easy to avoid uh, the low points because we that's not that's not how we want to kind of and it makes sense why how we don't want to put ourselves out there we wouldn't want to necessarily show that side whereas with a podcast like this where i think we will have guests but i i do think you and i are going to i'm hoping to have you as a recurring guest um (laughs) i appreciate that yeah yeah Uh, as long as you get that pop filter eventually that's going to be the difference no uh okay yeah yeah i was just i was just wanted to chat about hello internet and and why it's your least favorite thing to listen to
1: oh it's definitely not my least favorite thing to listen to oh yeah it, i I think part of it was it seemed to me like there would be a large investment of time in order to start to get the value out of it that you've gotten out of
0: it-hmm I'm yeah definitely
1: and and so it it wasn't something I was interested in investing the time in in order to start getting that value out
0: yeah, you don't you don't have time like that. Uh, and then you're also tired of talking. It's
1: not that I don't have time for it. It's that I haven't decided to allocate the time that way.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, you don't have time for anything you don't want to make time for. There's some real wisdom.
1: That actually gets into a conversation my wife and I were having about... This is sort of a funny concept, but we were just discussing... Well, Well, first off, let me start off with a question for you. What have you heard or read about the ideal size of an or of an organization for a manager for one manager how many people should be under one manager i haven't heard who are direct reports
0: Yeah, yeah yeah i haven't heard a number but i have an opinion and i think it's six
1: okay that's so that's that's right in the ballpark of of what i've heard where where have you what makes you feel like six is that right number
0: Because you can't have like a give and take relationship with more than seven in a group. And that goes from the men's group that I was in. We limited groups to that size. One of them was a leader or a facilitator, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, we tried groups that were at eight and it changed the dynamic enough that it just wasn't really wasn't feasible. And or I mean, it it was, but it just you couldn't have everybody feel like their voice was heard and then you have less buy in. Um, it's kind of like if, you know, if there's somebody starts to drown and there's only one person that can see that drowning person, they feel a certain amount of responsibility. If there's a hundred people, each of them feels maybe a hundredth of that responsibility. Um, and I also, you know, a team of two is also, you know, you've just got one direct report. It's like, well, then the manager is a manager and the worker. You can't, you can't spend all your time managing one person. Or okay. Some, anyway. So
1: then did, did, did the men's group ever have kind of larger groups that had two leaders and then no. you kind of divide up?
0: No, no, it was divided that way intentionally. I was also, so it, now that I think about it, I was also in the Boy Scouts, right? And that was the size of a, a small group as well. One leader, one assistant leader, and then, and then you had five others usually. And there were sometimes that that there were larger groups than that, and it just it just didn't work out super well.
1: Okay, so you had six scouts and one leader and one assistant leader.
0: Uh, no, no, no. So the boys were leading each other, right? The older boys would lead the younger, and so you had they were all scouts, and there was one elite, one leader, one assistant leader, and five others.
1: Okay, so you had a group of seven. Yeah. I see.
0: That wasn't that wasn't as strict though. Sometimes there would be six. Sometimes there would be you know even more. Anyway. So what did you and uh, your wife come up with for a size of group?
1: Well, what we were talking about was actually how many, how many children is it reasonable to expect that some, that a family could have and still raise those children well. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I know your church, you've got a lot of larger families Mm -hmm. um, than that seven number. I've, been part, uh, part of several churches that have had larger families than that seven number. And I was just talking to a friend of mine the other evening about a friend from a, a larger family who I hadn't talked to in a while, but he's walked away from the faith.
0: And he was in and a family I, that was larger than seven or five or whatever.
1: More than five kids. Yeah. Not okay. many more, but a okay. little bit more. And so that's kind of what got me thinking about this is obviously we can't save our kids, but we can use wisdom to uh, create an environment where that is most conducive to raising them and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so Uh,
0: we can't save our children.
1: So we can't save our children, but we can create an environment using wisdom that is more conducive To raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, than say another environment might be. And part of that comes down to what's the ratio of children to parents? And
0: how much should you try to control that? That's an interesting question that, in, you know, 50 years ago would have been answered. You know, some people would have said you shouldn't try to control that at all. And some people would have said, you know, control that via abortion or uh you know people say that today
1: right people will say that and i think what we do know is that children are a blessing from the lord mm-hmm. um we also know that god desires godly offspring
0: mhm not from every couple right sometimes he closes a womb
1: true true but in general in scripture that's viewed with sadness mhm yeah that's that's not something that's um desirable rejoiced over Sure. I'd I know that I'd I'd go I'd use the word de- desirable I really think it's maybe healthier or safer to say that's not something that's rejoiced over mm. just because of the connotations of, of those those words I feel more comfortable saying it's not something we we re- re- rejoice over as opposed to saying this is something we desire that is something we desire
0: what uh, what do you mean when you say that why do you feel safer with the, with the one phrase over the other
1: right when we're talking about desires, we're talking about mm-hmm. something that we are looking for. And, and ultimately, what we're looking for is is growing in sanctification and growing closer to, to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in the case of the Apostle Paul, that wasn't necessarily part of his Christian walk. And he had a very mm-hmm. strong Christian walk. So to say that he should have desired children is kind of strange now now to say that if he had had a wife and a family um i think it's totally appropriate to say that that would have been something for him to rejoice over but i'm not sure that given his Mm -hmm. work for the church as a single man i don't know that saying that he should have had a desire for children is correct
0: okay fair enough I feel like we've gotten off of the the main thread. We've gotten onto a little rabbit trail. That's true. Unless we were, unless this that was the that was the point you were trying to make, or the, you know, you just wanted to explore what, um, what's a desirable. It's it's interesting that you asked a question not about children, but about direct reports. Um, do you feel like your son is working for you at this point? He's only like no.
1: <laughs> I was I was thinking of situations where we have. Examples of practical wisdom about um, organization, organizational size, hmm. um, that were outside the family, and then looking for um, ways that could be applied analogously to inside the family. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you think that that's too far a field in order to be uh, helpful? Help a helpful analogy.
0: I'll say it feels funny to okay. what, to why? Why does it feel yeah. funny? Because you were, I was, I was thinking in terms of, um, people who are not at all emotionally enmeshed, right? At a work, you have very little, um, you know, you kind of have two types of relationships. You have, um, consumer relationships and you have covenant relationships. Covenant relationships are, you know, the best example is a husband and wife or rather, I mean... The best example that we can see here on earth is is of a husband and wife. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Tricky, tricky. Um, So, which is basically something to the effect of, actually, it might even be better. uh, uh, A parent and a child might be better. I don't know. Um, But those are both two very strong covenantal relationships in that we would say, uh, no matter what, you are still my husband or wife or daughter or son or mother or father. And especially from the father or mother to the son or daughter, uh, from the parent to the child, um, even when the child is acting very unlovable, um, I've heard, I haven't experienced this, right? But that you you love them even more, you care for them even more, you feel even more tender towards them. Um, you should, but I right. So, uh, and a, a good example of a consumer relationship is. Uh, like where you go grocery shopping, right? That you don't have a real, you know, especially now, right? You don't have any kind of relationship with the person you buy your groceries from. If there's a better deal at Safeway, you're going to go to Safeway. If there's a better deal at Winco, you're going to go there. Or if they're having a sale on steaks at Freddy's, guess where you're going to get steaks? It's probably Freddy's. You probably care very little that uh, Winco is where you usually go.
1: Is, is that ideal or would society be better if we had, if covenantal relationships were more broadly seen and experienced.
0: Mm, I don't think that's helpful. Okay. I think that y- you and I interact with too many people to have, I think that you could have, I think you could make that work in a society where um, people worked within a couple miles of their house and walked most places and bought groceries most places like, you know, or excuse me, that didn't make any sense where everything was within a couple of miles of their house. And it was, right, you know, right. then you could have a fewer, you could essentially have fewer covenantal relationships, but they would be very strong.
1: I mean, that's sort of what um, Mr. Money Mustache on his blog promotes from a secular perspective.
0: Sure. Um, but in the way that we're set up right now, I don't, we don't really have a framework for that.
1: And, and again, I'm not asking what is the current state? I'm asking what is the ideal state? Assuming there were no restrictions on that
0: well ideally we would all work as little as possible and you know to the amount that we were let's say that to the amount of the desire that we have and we would share freely i mean ideally it would be basically communist everybody would share and share alike right that's the you know the lion lays down with the lamb like was 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 god's uh,
1: (laughs) command to adam to Work as little as possible in the garden.
0: Yeah, right. No, obviously it wasn't. It wasn't, and that's why that's why I qualified that. Right, not work as little as possible, but work. I mean, you would, you would.
1: I guess I missed the qualification.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll make it so I don't.
1: Can you delve into your qualification a little bit?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess I, I, I shouldn't have said as little as possible. What I should have said was people would work, not overwork, but would work. Hard, and then share and share alike in the in the proceeds from that. Right, that would be ideal. But I don't think that. W-
1: I mean, that's kind of going to a little book on the Christian life, the the second chapter in that book. So in the second chapter of that book, uh, Calvin talks. So so the little book on the Christian life, being um, it's it's a sec- it's a segment from Calvin's Institutes that's been uh, reformatted, remastered for. A modern audience and into a little book. That's about five chapters. And in the second chapter, Calvin's dealing with self-denial. And some of his points in that chapter have to do with working hard, working diligently, working wisely, but recognizing that while we plant the seed, God gives the increase. And mm-hmm. so whether God decides to um, bless our work with fruitfulness or withhold his hand from our work and cause leanness is not our concern and we shouldn't if if god gives us leanness we shouldn't then kick against the goads and and work harder or become bitter but to the one who is blessed he is commanded to share especially with those of the household of faith, as it says in Galatians, Hmm. which is what you were describing there. So that's why I went to chapter two of the little book of the Christian life.
0: Sure. Yeah. Why were we talking about covenantal and consumer relationships? relationships?
1: So we were talking about covenantal and consumer relationships because I had asked you about why the family would be different than, say, a working relationship, which also the other place, the number of, say, six direct reports to a leader comes in in a squad in the military is about that size. Mm-hmm. And so you take a SEAL team, and anyone who's listened to Jocko Willing's podcast knows or has heard how close the men on those teams are. That is, in a sense, a covenantal relationship that they have there, even though it is in another very real sense, a professional relationship. Because a lot of those guys are career SEALs. That is sure. their occupation.
0: Well, and you have every relationship basically starts out as a consumer relationship. With a few exceptions. And, you know, what can you give me? If you stop meeting meeting my needs, then I will move on to another place. To a covenantal relationship. Like, friendships uh, start off as, you know, at some level entertaining or, um, I mean, with, again, there are exceptions, but there's, there's, you know, you wouldn't start out a friendship with, I'll be here no matter what, like that doesn't that. And that's, that's kind of the, one of the hallmarks of, a of a covenantal relationship, no matter what you do, I'm going to be here.
1: Right. This is making me think of, uh, church shopping since that's what my wife and I, are doing in a sense for our family as much as I hate that term church shopping.
0: What would be a better term? Oh, you haven't thought about it. So that's what you're, that's what you're
1: saying. Yeah. It it would be some long sentence about looking for a body of believers to, um, be in fellowship with and bless and be blessed by.
0: It's not near as catchy. Yeah. So you're putting them in an Amazon cart, seeing if you like how they try and then maybe sending them back.
1: Well, put them in the Amazon cart, see if they send me a discount and then, you know,
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, so in addition to, I started talking about this earlier, you, you don't want to, you feel like we chit chatted too much. Was this a, was this something that you, was a feedback from you? Was it feedback from?
1: This was feedback from me.
0: Okay. I was wondering, your, your wife is like, you guys talk too much. She didn't even listen to the podcast, but you guys, you guys
1: I was actually thinking about the, the previous podcast, which, which hasn't been, um, hasn't dropped yet. No. Yeah. Hasn't dropped yet. So hopefully people will listen to episode four before they listen to episode five, because otherwise that would be really confusing.
0: No, nah, it'd be fine. They don't, nobody needs to listen in order. Um, so have you read, uh, well, okay. So book club, I want to talk about um, somewhat a new-ish, it was from Shane Parrish. It was from uh, someone he interviewed. They talked about, I wish I could remember the name of it. I'll, I'll find it. Put it in the show notes yeah, but I keep saying that I'm gonna put it in the show notes and very little of those things have ended up in the show notes. I need to figure out a good way to figure that out And my keyboard is uh, essentially like rolling rocks around in a bag clackety. Yeah, it's very yeah which I like when I'm by myself. It sounds terrible on the, the podcast though so I've edited it out. I was out. Let me try again. I've edited. I've gotten it out of the podcast as much as I can.
1: Way to get it out.
0: <laughs> um, in any case, so in whoever Shane Parrish is interviewing, uh, they talk about how in what they when they read a book, they don't try to and they're summarizing. They're taking notes for themselves. They don't try and restate the author's argument. They don't necessarily have a conversation with him in the, with their notes but what they they do is they, they take specific quotes and then, as well as, so they'll take specific quotes, put them in a in a essentially a database, add tags to it, and then in addition, they'll uh, create directives from that book. So instead of saying uh, when you put your hand on a stove, it can ge- it can be very hot, and if it were very hot, you would, uh, you would burn yourself and uh, then you you may have to, depending on how hot the stove is, right? You go on and on and on and on. Uh, all of that is essentially encoded in the directive, don't touch the stove.
1: So do they write out the directive or do mm-hmm. they just... Okay, so they write down the quote and then essentially uh, do exegesis on the quote.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, but I, as I was like reading um, tactics, instead of trying to write out all of... It, they were talking about, so in the podcast, talking about efficiency, like talking about, like, what, what, how can you have uh, words that have the most economy, right? And that he thought, he posited that having directives encodes the reasons for doing the thing. And if you do the thing, you can learn more about the things that the the ideas that precede that directive if that makes sense
1: I mean this is reminding me of a book I read on on how to listen to a sermon that was given loaned to me by the pastor at, at first OPC and in that in that book he he kind of gave th- uh, four different components to a sermon yes he, he mm-hmm. the exegesis the the
0: what comes out of it
1: writing down the directive that comes out of the text okay you have the doctrine so how does that fit into the systematic um structure of truth that we know about the about the the whole book the redemptive historical context um which i'm not sure exactly how you would apply that to this because that's how is christ evident in the in this text so maybe you'd ask how is the author and his perspective or her perspective evident in, in that quote? And then you have the application, which is after you've done those first three things from that quote, how do you apply it to yourself?
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that makes sense.
1: Was that similar to the, the process he went through? So, so you had the quote, then you had the directive. And then what did you have after the, the quote and directive?
0: Well, so his purpose was was somewhat different than what you've described. So you have the quote and the directive, and then you tag those quotes and directives separately with anything that you can think of. You could have a 10-word quote and have 10 different tags. So you could have one that's about, uh, you know, for some of the stuff, uh, you know, the quote that we have in here that we may or may not end up talking about. Um, You have goals, goal-seeking, validation, Um, depression are you looking at this like so here i'll 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 read the quote actually because this
1: yeah yeah so so dyke dykeman's the author of tiny habits uh
0: no he is not i don't think so okay that doesn't name doesn't sound familiar i think that um tiny habits was written in like 20 is after 2010 i think
1: okay so the quote there is a quote from that the author of tiny habits quoted
0: no I don't know where you're getting tiny habits from. Are you getting it from
1: Oh, I thought I thought you were talking about reading tiny habits.
0: No, so I'm gonna read the, I'm gonna read this quote and then we're gonna talk about tags that may come from this. So there is evidence that people who set validation seeking goals are more prone to depressive episodes and self esteem loss than those who set growth seeking goals. Validation goals are strivings to prove one's self worth competence and likability through attainment of a goal. In contrast, growth-seeking goals are strivings to learn, grow, and improve. So the directive that would come from that, that I wrote down from this, was set growth-seeking goals. And all of that 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 is essentially encoded in that, you know, in those five words or whatever it was. Right. So, and then you may may tag it self-esteem, depression um goals goal uh learn grow improve you know you, you can go through and and figure out a bunch of different tags that you may have that that very short directive
1: do you also take the
0: quote mm-hmm. yeah and then when you are if you're thinking about goals you have this database that you can then type in goals and you can essentially like let's say you've done this with uh let's say you've done been working on this for a year and you have a 1000 a thousand things in there you could pull up easily all of the things that you have done this with maybe a thousand let's say a hundred and you could have 10 quotes from 10 different books and directives even from those different books and then synthesize them and it it just seemed like an it, it seemed like a helpful you know we i read a lot i'm just gonna say i'm just you know i think the average is like two books a year so i read more than that um and so it seemed it seems like a lot of that kind of I'm not gonna say just goes away, but it gets into the background. Sorry.
1: it evaporates a little bit.
0: It evaporates a little bit. actually it was reading some memory stuff and roughly you know, if you haven't looked at something in a year, essentially you remember 20% of the intake.
1: Was that on Farnham Street?
0: It might have been. Yeah, I just read that. Yeah, you're becoming a Farnham Street junkie Kyle. you gotta you gotta stop. It's good stuff. It is good stuff, but you can also, like, if you don't implement it, it's not very helpful. The value of anything is the result that you get from it, right? So I've heard this quote a number of times. The value of the communication is the result that you get from it. If I'm trying to get a hold of, if I'm a salesperson and I'm trying to get a hold of 50 people, that's only valuable if I make a sale that uh, reflects that work. If I make, you know, if I reach out to 50 people and I get zero Response that communication was worthless.
1: Absolutely. And and that's something that in a few of the podcasts I've listened to recently, I mean, probably three out of the four episodes I've listened to in the last week, have pointed out the value of taking time for self-reflection instead of Mm -hmm. continuing to consume. And then as you pointed out, there's the importance of going beyond self-reflection to actually taking action. Mm-hmm. and implementing what it is you learned, which is the difference between entertainment and learning.
0: Mm, yeah. So in this last week in the four episodes that you've listened to, were they entertaining or did you learn something?
1: What I just shared was, was the primary thing I've learned and started. The, the way I've started to apply it quite simply is spending less time checking email.
0: <laughs> yeah. I have um it's almost like an anxiety test. Like today I just um I've been checking my email a lot just on my phone. It's my personal email and it's like I have to be on work for for quite a few things and uh I have to I think that sentence I just said doesn't make any sense. For work, I am on my phone a lot. Um I take I take work phone calls on my personal cell phone. Uh that's just how they have things set up. And it's like you know, it only takes a second at a time. But it's like, I, I want to check it for that, you know, that every, you know, there's like a specific email I'm waiting for. And it's almost like I, I've heard it talked about in this way where I'm, I'm pulling the slot machine by checking my phone and by having, yep. um, what do you call it? Getting that hit of dopamine. It, yeah. Inconsistent feedback. Yeah. It's like, that's the dopamine and, then and, and, you know, you can essentially make rats addicted to, um levers that like by buttons that way by having inconsistent feedback
1: right that was in one of the last chapters of atomic habits he talked about how that easy yet surprising um feedback is the most addictive for us and Mm -hmm. and as a result as a result it's the one thing we have to be most cognizant of and most aware of when we are exposed to it so that we can use the willpower we have to say no alter the environment if we can so that we can make a choice that opens up time for us to reflect and take action mm-hmm. and deliver results
2: sure
0: and do you want to talk about that quote that i read at all so the difference between yeah validation goals and growth seeking goals
1: yeah where did you get that quote from
0: uh it was a far i think that was a Barking up the wrong tree. Okay. Article. I'll put it in the show notes.
1: I know you will. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I'm. I'm 90% sure that was that because he will. Um, he doesn't post very often. I think it's Eric. I can't say his last name, or I don't remember it. Oh, it's Barker. <laughs> I can't say it. He's just got a funny blog name. Um, but he. Uh, he usually has. Um, either very well researched books or actual. Um like peer reviewed articles or peer reviewed are they articles? Is that what you would call
1: Yeah, a journal article or a paper.
0: Yeah, okay. Anyway, um a journal paper of some kind in as as a source for his um for his blog posts, which are anywhere between like, I don't know, six hundred words or two thousand, somewhere somewhere is in there. Um, but yeah, so, so validation seeking goals. I think this was how I, for a long time approached uh, fitness, which is why I think it was not, you know, it didn't stick very well.
1: Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I hadn't I, thought about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's really easy in our culture to find value in looking a certain way, especially when you're in like, you know, high school and college and you want to fit in and, you know, I don't know. At least it was for me. I don't know. Maybe that's not the truth for everybody.
1: Well, that's that's really interesting that just talking about this quote with um, physical fitness in mind. Mm-hmm. For, for me, I have generally approached it from the standpoint of what can I learn about my body as I'm moving this weight, moving myself? How can this help me become better in other areas of of my life as opposed to? I want to have this physique certain status sure or there's definitely a component of that, but mm-hmm. it's the, the, the more primary driving force is that, um, desire to see, see what the body God has given me can do. Yeah. Well, see what it can be ready for.
0: God has gifted different people differently. Um, do you remember <laughs> when I, uh, I did jujitsu with you. Yeah. Do you remember, did it, was it so obvious how self-conscious I was the entire time? Or no, not particularly. Not,
1: probably not as obvious as you thought it was.
0: Huh. That's interesting. Cause I, I just remember like, you know, you would, you would say, uh, here, contort yourself this way or, um, move like this or, uh, flex, you know, squeeze this and flex that. And then, and then just, and then you'll just do it. And I was just like, I just, I felt like I was typing. I felt like I was riding a bicycle where you had to pedal the opposite way. I just felt so out of my element.
1: But that is everyone's experience with jujitsu. Well, maybe not everyone's, but...
0: Was it yours, Kyle?
1: It it was definitely mine. Hmm. Okay. There was a lot of just kind of, I don't understand what we're doing. And I caught about two words of the... 10 things that you said we were going to do in this in what you said was a very simple drill Mm -hmm. but i'm just going to hold on to those two words and writhe around on the ground until someone submits me and i do those two words over again
0: Hmm. there's also a lot of sweating i remember that it was a very sweaty time oh for sure yeah Hmm. okay well maybe well that's that's actually i don't know if you meant that to be encouraging but maybe i'll Maybe I'll try again. I don't know. I don't know when I'll have time. Maybe this, maybe this fall once, you know, it's something I've been thinking about. I was like, I was, I was, I was writing a note to my wife and I had said something about after COVID and I was like, oh wait, I have no idea like when that's going to be.
1: 2022.
0: Is that what they're saying?
1: When they have a, when they have a vaccine fully vetted.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I I heard somebody talk. It was actually, it was the pastor of uh, Northwest Gospel. They have a podcast, right? And I listen to that every now and again. And one of them made a joke that he had seen on Facebook, which was like, man, it seems like the anti-vaxxers are awfully quiet. And somebody was like, that's because they're dead. And I was just like, huh, I wonder how that made it through their filter. I was a little bit like... You know, I was actually spent a little bit of time thinking about it. You know what? Do you know who is? Do you know who's an anti-vaxxer for, for COVID? Everybody. Nobody has a vaccine. <laughs> like.
1: No, no, that's not an- being anti-vaxxer for COVID. That's just being a non-vaxxer.
0: But it's the same. It's. it's, Yeah. Well, but everybody's in the same boat. Boat. <laughs> I said vote. Same boat. Hey, you you still live in Washington. Yep. Have you seen the primary ballot? There are so many people for governor. There are so many people for governor. It's like 25 or something. Have you looked at the party affiliates?
1: I was very disturbed when I looked at the party
0: affiliates. Um, You didn't like the Socialist Communist Party or Socialist Working Party?
1: No, actually, I mean, those are always there. The ones that disturbed me were the pre-2016 GOP Party or Trump Republican Party.
0: Yeah, you didn't like those? Why not?
1: I think mostly I didn't like the Trump Republican Party because it just exemplified how far people have gone down the road in putting this narcissist on a pedestal.
0: Uh-oh, you're throwing shade, Kyle. Um, I'm throwing facts. Okay, sure. I um, Have you heard of the 13th? friday the 13th no the documentary the 13th it's about the 13th amendment
1: no i have not heard about that documentary
0: i didn't know this but i'm curious if you do because you're always smarter than i uh i just think that you won't you won't know this this fact but do you know what the 13th amendment is nope (sighs) see okay well now you've surprised me because i you know i put you on this pedestal now um it's the uh the abolition of slavery okay and so they uh, it's interesting in that there is a caveat. There's a caveat to like slavery is legal within a specific loophole in the in the system. And that is for felons. You are legally allowed to have slave like to not be paid for your labor. Yep. Do you think that's right? We don't have to talk about this.
1: This this is a really long potent topic potentially because I think you have to bring the death penalty into this in capital punishment because there's a, because we have our definition of what a felon is and mm-hmm. a felon spans such a, such a gap, broad range of, yeah.
0: I'm talking specifically about corporations being able to use free labor by felons. So do you think that the uh, capital, do you think that the death penalty still has to be brought in? If I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that specific issue
1: right and i think it has to it all has to do with how do we treat people who have transgressed the law in heinous ways do we do we as a society believe that there are things that are so heinous that we need to make a statement about what we as a society think about someone doing those things, or.
0: There are lots of things that you can become a felon for that are not, I wouldn't consider, heinous.
1: And, and right, right. And, and that's, and that's why I was saying. It's, the wide. it's a, diff, it's a, it's such a wide thing. There, there are certain things that I would say shouldn't be a, a felony. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it wouldn't make sense for that sort of extreme punishment of, Essentially, enslavement for your time in prison. Um, I don't think that is correct, but I think there are other things where it it gets closer to the other end of the spectrum. And under I don't...
0: what circumstances do you think a private corporation should be able to profit from any living person's enslavement? You see that. You see a scenario where that's. Acceptable.
1: The scenario you just described.
0: I, uh, I'm sorry. I don't understand. So
1: the, the scenario where where someone has, because it's it's not interminable necessarily. So, so it's, so when you it's say a set period of what, time. Oh it, no no, no, it's, no It's not. Okay. Going in until until the person is dead.
0: A lot of times uh, it is in California. It is if they.
1: And that's where the that's where the death penalty comes in.
0: So okay. So I just. I actually don't, like, I think that the death penalty is, is somewhat removed from this conversation and that I don't think that, and I'm not saying that Apple does this, uh, I mean, I don't know whether they do or not, but I don't think that any private corporation should be able to profit from, uh, f- just from a person, from, uh, just from free labor. I think that's ridiculous.
1: Do you think it's fair to say that someone who commits...
0: Let's, let's, let's... A
1: crime that we would agree is a felony has a debt to society.
0: Yeah, let's say murder murder and rape, like, of a child. Like, go as far as you want.
1: And I think that needs to be dealt with swiftly with capital punishment.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. Sure.
1: Not with slavery.
0: Yeah, I, well, I just, I don't think that there's any scenario where I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Uh, white, black, Mexican, Asian, uh, you know, all of the races. Like, I don't, like, it has nothing to do with race at that point, which is what the 13th is about. The 13th is about how, um, now we, we get into it later, uh, maybe, probably a different time or maybe never. But, like, I don't, it just, it puts, um, it puts incentives in such a weird place to have uh slave labor uh legal like i don't i i mean if you had if i had if somebody had told me a month ago and hadn't taken the time to explain that there was still slave labor going on and that corporations were directly benefiting from that labor
1: I, it's not just corporations that are benefiting from that
0: yeah no no no. but i think it's especially egregious that corporations are i think that the government shouldn't but you get you into,
1: and i benefit from it like the corporations do. How so? We're able to buy products at a lower price.
0: I thought all my stuff was made in China.
1: What, what do you think the labor is like over there?
0: Uh, Kyle, you and your thoughtfulness.
1: I mean, there the people are essentially in slavery, whether they're free walking down the street or in prison.
0: <sighs> That's true.
1: Because of the, the system of government that they have over there you are not a free person if if your neighbor doesn't like you they can come up with something that puts you away puts you in an indoctrination camp hmm. i mean this has been very well documented with the the waygars the the muslim chinese in um western china where if if you have if you are viewed as being too observant and these are things like you go and pray too many times a day or you have a beard that's too long, mm-hmm. you get rounded up and taken to an indoctrination camp and you're not allowed to leave until you can be a good Maoist Chinese citizen.
0: I feel like you've deflected somewhat. Okay. You know.
1: So, so going back to, the, to whether corporations should be able to use slave labor at all, I would be,
0: and I'm gonna be as specific. I would be as specific as in America. I
1: in America, yes.
0: Because I I can't. Um,
1: so I'm I'm sticking with America. Okay, sure. Here, so going back to to America, where we have the Thirteenth Amendment, if if someone has committed grand larceny, which is a felony, okay, and they're put in prison for say three years. I mean, this is probably way less than someone would actually be put in prison for. But let's say we had reasonable prison sentences, um, which is another part of this discussion. Mm-hmm. If for part of that time, they were um, in return, for in essentially in return for the free room, board, and health care that they get during their time in prison, they work, they are loaned out by the government to a corporation to do manufacturing for a US company while they are repaying, quote unquote, their debt to society, and then they get out. And And this is another broken thing. When they get out, there needs to be good opportunity for them to actually reintegrate into society so they don't have a black mark on their name that prevents them from getting hired and, and pushes them into poverty and back towards that life of crime.
0: Or being able to rent or being able to...
1: Exactly, exactly. And so these are all wrapped up in this question. I think what you're rightly pointing out is we have a system um, set up right now which puts people away, throws away the key, and then someone is, in essence, a slave for the rest of their life. And I don't think that is right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But... I'm not going to say a limited form of that is is wrong given what someone has may have or has been convicted of doing.
0: Yeah, and I guess I would just like to see some pretty significant accountability. Yeah.
1: Right. To to cuz you brought up a really good point with there are some really weird incentives here where corporations with big budgets to lobby can profit from people being sent to prison for a long time and having the key thrown away and and that is something that we do need to look at and ideally with um constructive bipartisan legislation um deal with
0: <laughs> now you're just like you're talking rainbows rainbows and unicorns man
1: are we talking the,
0: ideally, ideally is what we're talking.
1: I, I I I was gonna I was gonna say, are we talking about a society where the gospel is having an impact?
0: Ooh, yeah, yeah. We may very well be. I didn't um, I liked that conversation. That was I think helpful. I'm not quite sure. That's is something I've noticed. I say a lot. I'm not quite sure how we got there. I don't remember the exact path. I don't know that that's helpful to point that out or not point it out.
1: You wanted to know if I knew that the Thirteenth Amendment was about the abolition of slavery. In order to, in order to, um, get more um, support for the the Civil War on the side of the the North, because it was after um, the Union armies had been sort of destroyed at like Fredericksburg and such.
0: Yeah, you got it. Can you see whether I smile or not on the FaceTime or are you, am I too far away?
1: Well, your face is kind of behind your pop filter. It's it's almost like you're wearing a mask. I had a fascinating conversation with someone last night about a mask, yeah, about masks. I'm Wasn't curious, what is, what is your reaction when you see people wearing masks? How do you feel?
0: Generally, I see it as a positive thing in that I guess I've just kind of internalized that you're protecting me and I'm going to wear mine so that I protect you.
1: Okay. So it, it does make you feel good.
0: Yes. And when I, so there was a, uh, there's signs everywhere at church, my church this weekend must wear a mask inside, blah, 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 unless you have a health condition. And there was an entire family of normally healthy, you know, normal, healthy people. Uh, and none of them wore masks and everybody else in the church were. And I just.
1: Okay. I, there's like, t- did you judge, did you judge them?
0: There was two parts of it that were frustrating to me. One was that uh, our church is streamed on YouTube, and I don't think that that family could make the argument that they had health reasons for why they weren't wearing masks, and so we could get shut down and not be able to meet anymore. I don't know that that's likely to happen, but they were in pretty clear view of the camera for most of the service. And then... Mm. Two... um,
1: Wait, are people required to wear masks?
0: In church service? Yes. Yes. Inside. If you aren't main... I mean, yeah. In church services, it says specifically.
1: Oh, Inslee put that in?
0: I think so. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure.
1: Because I don't think it's required in Oregon. It's it's not required in Idaho.
0: To wear masks inside in a church service? Correct. Yeah. Well, Inslee isn't brown or uh, who's the governor of Idaho?
1: Oh, I can't remember his name. It was Butch Otter for a long time. It's Brad Little now.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: He, he was pretty funny. He had a statement where, so he got up and gave his address saying, masks are required. And if you don't wear a mask, it'll be a misdemeanor. And then someone in the media asked him, so, so how is this going to be enforced? And he said, I don't know. I don't really <laughs> care. I guess it'll be up to you and the media to enforce it. And then just kind of walked off the stage.
0: <laughs> uh, that's funny. I mean, J- James Lee has basically said we're not enforcing this. Right. He said he he made a he made a strong statement about how he believes the Washingtonians will you know do what's right. S-
1: so why are you concerned about the church getting shut down if it's not going to be enforced?
0: Things are changing so fast, man. I mean, I like I he first of all, I don't believe that he's not going to enforce it. Why would I trust that? I don't know. I I yeah no. I mean, so that's that's one piece. And the other is like, we, yeah, I guess just generally I see, I see it as a, especially in like the city parts, like more urban areas where people are packed closer in. I see it as a, I don't know, like a lot of people are dying. You know, I know a handful of people, you know, through, I don't know, third, third connections who've, who've gotten sick or died. And, um, like, I, I don't think that this is a hoax, I guess. I don't. I don't think that it's a, I'm concerned that if people don't take it very seriously, that this could turn into another flu where it comes back every year and it's a little bit, a little bit of a different iteration.
1: Uh, it'll, it'll do that whether or not, um, it, it's, it is another flu at this point.
0: Well then, then that sucks because, uh, the flu kills like, you know, between 50 and 70,000 people every year. Yep. And so, if we have let's say okay, so let's say COVID kills between fifty and seventy thousand people every year. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. This year, it's more like one hundred and fifty at this point. Um, let's say we get it down to you know flu levels. It's like well, then we have two things killing fifty to seventy thousand people every year. Like that doesn't seem great. And what if we have a what if we have a COVID twenty one?
1: It's very likely that we that we will have COVID more COVIDs in the future. So one of the it, it is interesting you bring up the flu. I the person I was talking to. Um, his grandma was actually a COVID death, mm-hmm. but she was a COVID death because she got the flu and the doctor told her not to come in and get treatment because COVID was going on.
0: Well, that sucks too.
1: But so, so yeah, stuff like that has been going on and it's, it's sad. Um, mm-hmm. one of the interesting quotes that was related to me the other night was Nassim Taleb, the author of the black Swan and fooled by randomness. Um, was quoted saying, let's say about masks saying, let's say you had some disease and someone put a glass with a beverage in front of you and said, there's a 1% chance that this beverage will cure your disease. There's a 99% chance that it will do nothing. Would you drink it? So basically what he was saying is that's, that's what wearing a mask is. You've got a 1% chance that it'll actually do anything that there isn't a lot of evidence that it actually will, but there's a chance it might. There's a 99% chance that it that it won't do anything. But since it might do something, let's go ahead and wear the mask.
0: That seems like a unhelpful way to think about it.
1: Why why does it seem unhelpful? Because that is what the data looks like. What data? Regarding masks. The 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 data regarding the effectiveness of masks preventing the the transmission of
0: it doesn't need to prevent it. It needs to reduce it below one, right? Or is that what you're talking about?
1: Okay. That's what I'm sorry. The data on masks, um, reducing, significantly reducing the, uh, transmission of COVID hmm. of, of cloth masks. Oh, if, if so, everyone was wearing an N95 mask, that would change that was properly fitted and all that.
0: Yeah. Those are two big what ifs, um, what do you, because I, I basically have just heard straight the opposite. So I'm very curious to see an article that you can put in our show notes that, that says something to that effect.
1: Okay. So,
0: but you, you, yeah, go on.
1: So the articles I've read are, um, during the, uh, MERS, the, uh, essentially the camel flu it, is, is MERS yeah, Cove MERS. 2.
0: Uh, mi- the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Doctors in Asia were looking at whether it was important for um, the doctors to wear a mask while they're treating the patient. Mm-hmm. So this is seeing okay. whether a mask would, would help prevent um, exposure to, to MERS while they were um, working on the patient. And, and what they found is that there was no conclusive evidence either way that the mask did anything.
0: So that's somewhat of a different... Right. Would you say it's similar enough?
1: Well, it's it's different because it's looking at does the mask protect you as opposed to does the mask protect others?
0: Yeah, well, there's two, two ways that it's different then because um, if you'd had the patients wear it, then you would have a closer analogy to where we're basically, I don't see my mask as protecting me.
1: Right, right. And so, so then you go to the papers about... Um.
0: But MERS is a completely different disease, yeah or no? It's it's a coronavirus. I understand that it's a different coronavirus, though. This isn't you know. Well, but would you say that analogous enough?
1: Well, let, well, let's let's think about the just think intuitively about how it gets transmitted. If basically what you have happening is you have um the virus being spread through the air, mm-hmm. and so. The, the size of the virus is gonna be roughly the same whether it's uh, MERS, COVID-2 or um, COVID-19. And so it stands to reason that a mask would have a similar impact. Okay. And then there was another study that um, was looking at the evolution of, of using masks for surgery. So this is where you're trying to prevent the, the doctor from causing an infection in the patient and interestingly the conclusion from that article was that in a in a medical environment the data um, doesn't strongly doesn't actually strongly support uh, doctors wearing masks in the in the oR at this point like it's 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 basically viewed as it can't hurt so we'll just keep doing it but We don't have data that indicates if they took them off, you'd have a swath of patients getting major Mm. post-op infections. So that's where I think Nassim Tlaib's analogy does stand.
0: Fair enough. But
1: I'm curious, have you read papers that indicate that there's a... um...
0: No, news articles. Okay. The finest of all sources. Yeah. You didn't even know how to respond to that one, did you?
1: (laughs) Not... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: normally we ended a lighter note, but my time is running out. I have.
1: Well, okay. Well, this isn't really a lighter note, but then what, what the person I was talking to said is we don't know what the potential psychological ramifications may be like even leaving aside the fact that people who are forced to wear masks all day, have lower O2 levels at the end of the day and what that may do to people's with compromised cardiovascular systems. Mm. Um, we don't know what the psychological implications are of not seeing a significant part of people's faces for upwards of two years.
0: Hmm. Or, or even being forced to do something that you think is stupid. Or that. Like, like there's a psychological impact to, or there potentially is a psychological right. impact to doing something that you are uh-huh yeah that you just disagree but his, with
1: But 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 his point was that we we haven't so we have these these studies showing that masks may help may not help with the spread of covid but we have no one's asking the the question of of what might be the bad impacts of wearing masks so so you look at Taleb's analogy and you have yes there's a 1% chance that it'll do something good, but what's the percent chance that it could do something harmful to a significant portion of the population?
0: Well, I, I think that the 1%, 99% is probably somewhat, I think he probably just pulled that.
1: Oh, it's definitely tongue-in-cheek.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to ask about 1%, you know, you can't, you then can't use the 1% as a number. You have to, yeah. So what what would be the... Right.
1: Right. But, but the point is, neither, neither number has been tested. Sure. Well, actually, I take that back. The, 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 the mass transmission number has been tested and found to be inconclusive, but no one's even asking the question about the other number.
0: So is when you say inconclusive, that's a, a lower p-value than 0.5 or 5 or whatever?
1: I, well, I mean, it depends on your significance, but I think it's normally 0.05, right? Oh yeah yeah yeah. A P of less than 0.5 is garbage, but you could talk to your wife about that she my wife knows. We had a fascinating discussion about that one one time, which I didn't get nearly enough nearly as much information out of as I would have liked to because of a lack of time. but
0: are you talking about a conversation? was that when you and your wife and me and my wife were talking about? Was that right before you left?
1: No, that was actually at um, the big Bible study house. Uh, near the kitchen.
0: Mm, you could have just said out a Bible study. I think that would have been fine. Okay. Probably enough information. Uh, speaking of uh, that, I looked pretty closely at uh, Comrade Inslee's uh, rules regarding religious groups. Emperor, and, please. <laughs> what'd you just say?
1: <laughs> Emperor Inslee, please. For everyone who's listening, Daniel and I are on. FaceTime so that we can see each other's reactions but we aren't recording this.
0: I'm going to cut this. This is <laughs> this is not not golden uh scintillating. I oh, know, I'm not going to use that word. Um uh, we've done better than this.